Hi Travelers, today is Thursday, April 6th. On today's The Continental Sports Podcast, Daryl Johnson from San Francisco's 95.7 The Game gives us an inside look into all things San Francisco sports and more. We open the show recapping UConn's dominance in this year's NCAA tournament and how they now compare against the other elite teams in college basketball history. We discuss the start of the MLB and what teams are surprising this first week into the season. We give you the pertinent draft moves less than a month out of the NFL draft and discuss what players the top teams are taking at the end of April. Finally, we give our takes on the WWE-UFC merger and our expectations this weekend heading into the Masters. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter accounts, and more. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's get started. Okay, today is Wednesday, April 6th, and boys, we have a new March Madness champion. We do. UConn's one of the most dominant teams we've seen in recent memory. They've won their games by an average of 20 points per game. They trailed, I think, for a grand total of 55 seconds in their last three games. And, I mean, this team did it as a number four seed, a team that lost eight games during the regular season. We all thought coming into the tournament that we would have a lot of upsets and that there was no dominant team. Well, we did have a lot of upsets, but it turned out there was a dominant team. It just wasn't what anybody could have possibly seen coming. Great example as to why the transfer portal might be working out. A lot of people think of the transfer portal as being bad for uh, college basketball, but I think UConn and San Diego State were a great example as to why it worked out. Uh, this past offseason, UConn got some perimeter shot makers and uh, Joey Cantera, uh, uh, Nathan Allen, Tristan Newton, Hassan Daria. Uh, I mean, they all really spread their floor for uh, Sonogo, really helped make shots when it counted, and it really showed in the finals this game. It sure did. And UConn definitely is, you know, one of the blue blood programs now, as we said, uh, you know, they're, you're have won five championships in the past 20 years or so. And uh, I think that um, they deserve to win this one, even with all the upsets, you know, they were one of the teams to come out on top and upset and definitely win the tournament. Here's a stat for you. Of the last 19 national champions, 16 of them have either been a one seed or a two seed. And the other three were UConn. Number three seed in 2011, number seven seed in 2014, now number four seed in 2022. This team did it without a starting point guard, too. Tristan Newton, I guess, was technically the starting point guard, but he wasn't really a traditional point guard in the old sense. So the fact that you know, Dan Hurley was able to do it with this team and to dominate the way they did. Think about this, too. Sonogo was fasting the entire tournament. So obviously he was starving every time he got out on the floor. So maybe that had an impact on his play as far as he went out and just dominated everybody because he needed to eat. It's been, it's uh, important to separate uh, old-time Blue Bloods with the modern-day Blue Bloods. Since the tournament went to 64 teams four decades ago, only one other team has won five championships, and that's Duke. I think a lot of people talk about UCLA, Kentucky, and Indiana as being the dominant teams in the NCAA tournament, but a lot of their victories actually came when the pool was a lot smaller and – the players back then were just smaller too. So I definitely think UConn is the modern day blue blood. I know they have a lot of, uh, the record might not be as good as far as how many final fours they've been to and how many tournament appearances they've been to, uh, but definitely are the modern day blue blood. And that's very hard to disagree with. 
Yeah, when the, you talk about uh, you talk about what they've done the last twenty four years, they've missed the tournament. I think eight times, seven times they didn't even get out, of the, get out of the first weekend, and then five times they won the national championship. So if you can get them out of the first weekend, you can get them to the final four. They're going to win because they're five and zero all time in national title games. I still would put UCLA, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. I think those are the blue bloods because UCLA and North Carolina, Kansas, like some of these programs have had success more in the old days, but they've been successful enough that I don't think they've fallen off that. Like a program like Indiana, who's done virtually nothing in the last 35 years, I don't think I'd really count them as a blue blood anymore. I think UConn has taken their place. So I would say it's about five, six programs, maybe at most, that are blue bloods. So I'd say North Carolina, Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, UCLA, and I think UConn gets the sixth one. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think there's a big – I think you got to be really careful and kind of this the delineate the, between the old-time Blue Bloods and the new-time uh, – the uh, new-age Blue Bloods because that's definitely the knock that UConn gets a lot of the times is the fact that they haven't been to the Elite Eight and above as many times as you would call – you know, as you would say, Kentucky, UCLA, Kansas. Uh, the other Blue Bloods have been. But when they do make it, like you said, Zach – they 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 make it. I mean, when they get past those, those first and second rounds, they are definitely a team to that people don't want to see, and they can definitely cause a lot of havoc in the tournament. So the preseason rankings for next year's college basketball season already out. We have UConn number one and San Diego State number two. Uh, no surprise there. I always hate these uh, preseason rankings. Uh, you know, we all know UNC started out the season uh, last season at number one. Uh, they lost in the quarterfinals in the ACC tournament and didn't even make the NIT. Uh, other rankings last year in the preseason uh, poll, uh, San Diego State was 19, Alabama 20, and we all know how those held up. Um, yeah, so I, I always hate how they put in put out these uh, preseason rankings way too early because we all know college basketball is very fluid, and especially with this transfer portal going on now, uh, we can all expect those uh, those rankings to change. Well, a lot of parity in college basketball, especially when they put out the preseason rankings, as you said, you know, the number one team basically, you know, now being UConn, you know, could they fall off? You know, that that could be a question. But, and you know, let's see if the, you know, the 20th ranked team or the 30th ranked team really gets up there and just, you know, is one of the top teams in the tournament. You know, it's, it's very, it's very much parity. That's for sure. Well, UConn lost to uh, New Mexico State in the first round and last NCAA tournament. So I really think to continue this conversation and getting into a blue blood status, they really have to show up next tournament and really start to get some consistency. I think that's what the fans want to see is consistency out of UConn. Um, really, again, make make it past the first, second rounds and into the Elite Eight on a consistent basis and not just um, every, you know, every year or two here. So We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll head to the baseball now. Uh, MLB season uh, officially started this week. Uh, pitch clock violations, already seeing some problems with there. Uh, Shohei Otane got one both as a batter and a pitcher uh, yesterday, Tuesday. Uh, how are you guys liking the pitch clock so far? Uh, Absolutely had- love it. I love the pitch clock. I think it's the best idea baseball's had in years. I mean, you look at opening day, there were only three games that took over three hours to complete, and those were like 11 to 10, 9, 7 kind of games. And look, I think the biggest misconception people have is it's going to be less baseball. No, it's just less standing around, less dead time. There's still going to be as much action as there already was during games, but now you've got the bigger bases, which are going to lead to more stolen bases. You're going to have more uh, – 
plus indecisiveness. You're not going to see guys readjusting their gloves and pitchers grabbing their crotch and spitting out their uh, mm-hmm. tobacco in between pitches. Like, let's just get the game going. Like, there's still going to be the same amount of action. There's just less dead time. And I know the old baseball purists hate it. And Oh, they're taking away the game. Well, the reality is baseball has needed to move in a more modern direction for a very long time because it does not appeal to younger fans the way that it did 30 years ago. And I think this is a great idea. I think let's give it a season. And if it works, then great. If it doesn't, then you can go back to the old ways. But I think so far it's been a terrific move for Major League Baseball. And rare that I'll say that about Rob Manfred, but I think in this case it was. You think it'll become a problem once games become more important, though? I know a big uh, uh, plus that a lot of fans are saying about the pitch clock is that it really hasn't been a problem in uh, spring training. Uh, but I'm, I'm very curious to see how it's going to lay out once the games mean more, especially as we get, you know, closer to fall and playoff implications come in hand. Yeah, I don't really think it's going to change a whole lot just because they've done it in the minor leagues the last couple of years. So a lot of the younger players, they're already used to it. So you're not asking them to, you know, do anything that they're not used to doing. And, you know, I. I love the drama of postseason baseball, but what do I like to see? I like to see action. That's why people are big football fans because, yeah, you got a play clock, but you don't have a three-minute break in between plays typically unless there's a television timeout. So I, I don't really think it's going to change a whole lot come the postseason, and I think you're gonna it's going to be better for fans that are going to be able to stay up later for games because what's one of baseball's big problems world series games end at 11 30 or midnight so a lot of the people that go to work every day can't see the end of games this is a step in the right direction where hopefully they can start seeing the end of games i don't think this convolutes any of the drama you think pitchers should get credit for a strike in this situation yeah i think yeah. so yeah i mean I, I know that's definitely a thread that i've been seeing online a lot of debate over that, whether pitchers should get credit for, uh, you know, a batter not being ready. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think they should too. It's, it definitely mm-hmm. counts against them as a strike in the, in the, in the rundown. So yeah. The defense I agree. gets credit if the offense isn't ready because they back up five yards, if they're not ready to run a play. Pretty much. And that's how, and that's how you got to add it on to, to baseball here with these new rule changes. I think it's a good, you know, it's, it's a good thing for the sport, you know, to really update themselves, you know, to really, you know, get a faster pace going, you know, obviously it's not a hundred percent like football or basketball or any of the time sports, but you need to update the game. I mean, the game definitely, you know, needs more, mm-hmm. needs more of a pace more than just, you know, guys stepping out of the box for five minutes, checking their emails, you know, pitchers as well. I mean, you know, you need that. You need that in in baseball, you know. I know it's not the only time, you know, up until now, it wasn't the only time sport, you know, unlike football, basketball, hockey, you name it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's I think it's good for the sport. I think it's good for the fans as well, you know, for a game on the weeknights, you know, when people have to go to work and school the next day, you know, it speeds it up, you know, uh, they can stay for, you know, the two hours and 45 minutes. That's how we saw the time of the game was, you know, this opening day is two hours, 45 minutes when it's usually three hours or even four hours. And to the baseball purists that think this is a whole new thing, like, no, if you watch old clips of Bob Gibson and Sandy Koufax, they're throwing pitches within 10, 15 seconds. Like, under three-hour games used to be the norm in Major League Baseball. So this notion that this has never happened before is just flat-out not true. 
comic standpoint, been... World Series right? Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go keep going. I was just gonna say World Series ratings have dropped off dramatically in the last 30 years. And part of that is pace, part of that is lack of major league baseball's ability to market their players, which is a whole different discussion for another time. But let's face it, the NFL, the NBA, they're trending up. Major League Baseball is trending down. So you got to do something. What team has surprised you guys so far? I mean, I see I have the Texans, uh the, the, the Rangers, I mean, excuse me, being four and two right now, third in the American League. Uh, they swept the uh, NL pennant champions of uh, last season, the Phillies, uh, this past weekend and opening weekend here. Outscored them 29 to 11 in uh, their two games that they uh, – I'm sorry, the three games that they played in that series. Uh, they won in both ways, both by an explosive offense. Uh, the first two games, uh, 34 uh, – 0.34 uh, batting average with 27 runs. And they also won by a pitching duel uh, with Martin Perez uh, winning over 2-1 to one on – the Sunday against the Phillies too. I don't expect this to continue for the Rangers, but they're still a surprising team. And I know it's a team that a lot of people had questions mark question marks going into the season about how they were going to perform. But so far off to a good start. What other teams do you guys have that are surprising to you right now as we uh, begin the an MLB season? Actually, the Phillies. I mean, I thought they would be, get off to a better start than they were, but you know they're they're one in five. But also they have they have injuries as well. Reese Hoskins tearing his ACL just a few days before the start of the season at the end of spring trading. Harper, you know, he is still on the IL. He's probably going to be back sooner rather than later, what the what the Phillies are talking about. But, um, you know, Wheeler and Nola starting the year as a one-two punch. That's definitely, definitely did not have good outings uh, against Texas. Yeah, the Rangers are going to be my answer as well, but I'll go with the Brewers because they just decimated the Mets in a three-game series the other day. Two shutouts, had a walk-off win the other day. Like I think we all anticipate the Brewers are going to be pretty good. You look at the National League Central, it's very open for them. You know, The Cardinals are obviously really good. Uh, the Reds are not so good. Obviously, being a Reds fan, I can tell you that we're probably a couple years away from being decent. Uh, the Cubs, not so great. But I think the Brewers have a real opportunity to win that division, but to beat the Mets the way they did, just make them look like mincemeat was, I thought, surprising. And, you know, you look at the best teams in the National League, you might want to throw the Brewers in that conversation. Milwaukee, uh, top of the NL Central right now, 5-1. and one. Surprising since uh, St. Louis is at the bottom of the NL Central. So we'll see what happens to them if they can get it going. Pittsburgh is second in the NL Central, which is surprising. Uh, we all know the Pirates owner Bob Nutting will probably soon find out that he's spending too much money, uh, sell half of his players, and then they'll end up in the bottom of the NL Central soon enough. Other than that, though, I think the uh, the other divisions are pretty standard as what we would expect, even though it is very early in the MLB season. Tampa Bay and Yankees uh, above the AL East, uh, Cleveland and Minnesota uh, atop of the AL Central, and Atlanta and Mets uh, atop of the NL East. And then, of course, Dodger, Dodgers and Padres, uh, two uh, World Series uh, hopefuls, I would even say, are top of the NL West. So other than the Phillies, I would say the Pirates and the Brewers, uh, I think, uh, and the Rangers, excuse me, I, I think the, the standings of the MLB are pretty in order right now as we uh, as we start the season. Reminder, we're also only six games into the exactly. season. Mm-hmm. So exactly. A lot's going to change. Exactly. 162 games. We've got 156 left to go. And NFL, we have the uh, drafts coming up in about three weeks. Uh, a lot of movement that has been going around uh, on the draft boards. Uh, I think Bryce Young, 
uh, is currently the number one pick as it stands right now. I don't think he'll go to the Panthers, though. Uh, I, th- I know we all know Frank Wright likes taller QBs. Uh, we've seen in his history with Philip uh, Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Carson Wentz. I think there's a better chance that um, that they don't actually draft Bryce Young. I think he's. I think uh, Frank Reich is just going to be a little bit too afraid of his size as uh, as we enter the draft board here. Yeah, I think C.J. Stroud is now the betting favorite to be the number one pick because he fits that tall mold. Uh, he had, was probably the best quarterback in college football last year that is coming out. I mean, Caleb Williams is probably the best quarterback in college football, but he's going back to USC for another year. And I can tell you as a Colts fan and as an Ohio State fan, yes, I think C.J. Stroud's a real deal, and there's no doubt Frank Reich likes his tall quarterbacks. I think Bryce Young's still going to be a top five pick and probably going to be the number two pick of the Houston Texans. I think the story that I'm paying attention to is Jalen Carter – and his fall from grace, you know, we were talking about whether he was going to be a top five pick at one point, and that's probably not going to happen now because he's not even talking to teams outside the top 10. And there are a lot of teams taking him off the draft board because he's had some off the field issues as of late. I thought that was an interesting thing because I think the quarterback thing, yeah, you can talk to me, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are clear cut above everybody else. Then Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are projects. I think the Jalen Carter news is a little bit more newsworthy. And another guy to pay attention to Bijan Robinson, where does he get drafted in the old days? He would, no doubt be a top 10 pick. He might still have a chance to be a top 10 pick because he's the best running back in this class by a mile as far as I'm concerned. I saw the Eagles interested in him. Uh, I doubt uh, Howie Roseman uh, uh, drafts a running back in the first round. I really do. I, I We all know the Eagles are trying to keep up their good ball control they had last season as we saw that all worked out and you know, keeping the defense off the field as long as possible. But we all know that uh, Roseman doesn't really have a history of drafting running backs in the first round but I can definitely see him going to another team though uh first round I mean I think Atlanta could definitely use a running back I think they would be interested in maybe uh drafting uh Robinson at uh, I think they are currently at yeah they the eighth pick overall even yeah even New England's also turns out to be interested in him maybe even the Detroit Lions Maybe not at number six, but maybe at number 18 even. I'll tell you another team that might be interested in Bijan Robinson, and it's in his state, Dallas Cowboys. What does Jerry Jones love? Stars. And he's mm-hmm. got a star right under his nose at the University of Texas. And the Cowboys have Tony Pollard, but they'd like to have another running back. Don't be surprised if the Cowboys try to move up for Bijan potentially. But what do you guys think of Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, these guys are two of the most polarizing quarterback prospects in recent memory. We can see their potential, but their completion percentages weren't great. And we just don't know what we're going to get out of these two guys. Yeah, yeah definitely. I know um, Richardson has moved up big time in the draft boards. I know when they first started, uh, I think he was around 50 in the draft boards. Uh, now he's all the way up to number four, potentially going to the Colts. Uh, he's very, I think a lot of people are comparing him to Josh Allen. Uh, very rough, tough, strong guy with some accuracy concerns. I know last year at Florida, he had a 54% completion rate, uh, you know, turned the ball over a, a little bit too much. I think his overall TD to uh, interception ratio was about like 17 to nine. So not the greatest, like I said, a, a lot like Josh Allen, a guy that runs the ball a lot, had 654 rushing yards with nine rushing touchdowns last year, 244 pounds uh, measured at the combine. So very similar, like I said, to Allen and just his running ability and just being a big boy, at, but just the accuracy concerns that he also has. So I think the Colts will be very uh, fortunate to draft a number four, take a, take a chance on him. 
because uh, I think we all know how Josh Allen uh, turned out, and he's Richardson is turning a lot of heads uh, so far at his combine and pro days, and uh, so I, I have him going number four to the Colts. I want Lamar. Well, Shane Steichen's an RPO guy now. You know, we saw him last year in in Philadelphia with Hurts, and you know, I I think they're definitely going to go with a more mobile quarterback. You know, even if they don't sign Lamar, they do draft Anthony Richardson. And you know he could he could be he could work out with this RPO system that uh, that Steichen could run in Indianapolis. And hopefully, let's see if the Colts are one of those teams that might end up trading up because I guarantee that somebody is going to trade up for that number three pick because right now you've got so. Panthers are going to take a quarterback, the Texans are going to take a quarterback, Cardinals. I don't think our, the Cardinals are not inclined to take a quarterback because they've got Kyler Murray. So I think somebody like the Raiders or the Colts. Maybe a team like the Commanders, one of those teams. I think Tennessee, Tennessee could move up. Uh, maybe Atlanta. I think one of those teams is going to move up and try and get the number three pick from the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Right now, I have the Cardinals drafting an edge rusher in Will Anderson. Uh, definitely, the, obviously, the best uh, defensive player uh, on this draft board. Jonathan Gannon, uh, the new head coach of the Cardinals, uh, was the defensive coordinator for the Eagles last year. Eagles, of course, we all know, had the most sacks uh, in the league last year. Cardinals were 23rd in that category. Uh, so it all just makes sense that uh, the Cardinals will expect to uh, draft the edge rusher this year if they don't lose that pick, as you guys were saying, to an, another team drafting uh, drafting up. I was very surprised that that's all the pant that the Bears got for the number one pick. Like normally when you're trading the number one pick, you're expecting like a generational haul. You're expecting two or three first round picks. You're expecting multiple second round picks, maybe a couple of players, at least somebody that can, you know, turn around your franchise. And instead they really got, I think, a first round pick this year. They I think they got one next year, a couple of seconds, and then DJ Moore. Like it was a decent haul but typically when you're trading the number one pick you're expecting to be blown away with the trade and I really wasn't blown away with the Panthers get trading for the number one pick and I wasn't blown away by what the Bears got yeah I think overall the consensus is that that trade was not the greatest trade in history uh I think both teams didn't really get what they wanted or didn't really get what they need out of that trade but it'll be interesting to see as I we all know that Bears pretty much own the draft or they, they can really control the draft uh, this year with the amount of commodity and picks that they they, they received uh, from the Panthers. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens draft night. We all know that the trades usually happen that night. Uh, we're not going to really see a whole lot of uh, moving up or moving down happening in the next couple of weeks. It's going to most likely happen on draft day itself, which makes it very exciting and uh, uh, definitely a spectacle to watch as we, as we head up there in end of April. UFC wrestling merger. Uh, WWE and the UFC have now uh, merged together. Uh, I think it's in the way of, uh, I don't know, like $20 billion as they now are net combined worth. Uh, what, what are you guys' thoughts about this as we kind of uh, break away from the NFL and, and go into another uh, physical sport here? I'm, I'm cool with that. Like, I think the WWE just needs to move on from Vince McMahon at this point. If you watched Raw after WrestleMania on Monday, it was one of the worst uh, – 
Raw shows that we've seen in a really long time. And it seems like he's back in control of the creative form. And I think Triple H is clearly better off for that role. And you're seeing two things going in different directions. Like the UFC has turned into a cultural phenomenon. And every night, you know, if you go to a Buffalo Wild Wings on a Saturday night, it's going to be jam-packed watching the, the UFC fights. And the WWE has kind of fallen out of favor these last couple of years. So I'm not surprised that the WWE wants to try to salvage a little something there with UFC. And I really want to know who's in control of this whole thing. Is it going to be Vince? Is it going to be Dana White? Like, what are they going to do there? Well, I think think, uh, WWE does need a reboot. I mean, merging with the UFC is a good thing. You know, that's the most popular boxing league in, uh, in America. And I think WWE needs, needs that reboot. As I said, I think that they, you know, they've fallen off, you know, you know, could it be Vince McMahon? But I would give it to Dana White of UFC. I think that um, I think that the league definitely needs a reboot. They need a uh, you know they they need more uh, you know they can merge you know how like basically like a minor league base like how in baseball you have the minor leagues you know WWE could be that minor league up into UFC that that could potentially be like how you know the XFL some people say. That could be a, a a merge with the NFL for a minor league, but instead the NFL has the practice squad, as we know. Well, it's going to be a super easy transition for UFC stars going forward, right? I mean, we you know we all seen the example with Ronda Rousey, uh, you know how many years ago that was, but I think you're going to see a lot of UFC stars win a couple games, get their names big, and then retire into the WWE, which this merger obviously is going to make a lot easier now uh, going forward. Uh, a big takeaway I have from this merger, though, is that WWE is trying to charge as much as the UFC is for their pay-per-view events, uh, which we all know is going to be upwards of $60 for these uh, big headlining events. Uh, I don't think this will be a very good idea for WWE. Uh, wrestling has not charged for viewership in the last nine years since uh, their agreement with Peacock and Comcast. So I, I don't think that's going to be a good idea. I don't think people are going to spend the amount of money that they do for UFC fights that they will for wrestling. It's just not like that. The fans, I don't think, will do that. And the fans, most importantly, haven't done that in a long time. Unions, I think, will also be a thing that we see coming out of this. Uh, Between the UFC's virtually non-existent revenue sharing and then the WWE's independent contractor status, I think a lot of the athletes that are in both of these uh, divisions will have to unionize in order to protect their assets because we all know that the owners definitely have a history of being greedy with, with with their players. You could just insert that line in any sport you want. That's mm-hmm. not. It's not wrong. True. Uh, that's why all the players have have unions in every sport. So Masters is starting off as we speak. Great time as well. March Madness finishes up, and then uh, we have March. Uh, we have the Masters coming on this weekend to kind of fill that void that we're all experiencing as sport, sports fans. Big takeaway I have uh, for this weekend is it's going to be very rainy and very humid uh, in Augusta. And people are saying that it's going to really affect ball flight and how far the ball can fly. So I'm interested to see how golfers that really pride themselves and really get ahead of the pack with their distance, like, you know, like Rory McIlroy, Justin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, Will Salatoris, guys that are really known for hitting the ball far and kind of uh, get up on the get up on the board through that. I'm curious to see how they're going to struggle this weekend, if at all. 
Yeah, and obviously the humidity and the weather is going to impact the greens because if it rains at any point, then that's just going to make the greens wet, and that's what people like because then the ball is going to stay more and you can get more out of your putts. But I think the big story, at least coming into this tournament, has got to be Rory McIlroy because he's looking to complete the career grand slam. He's one of the greatest golfers probably of all time, and if he wins this or wins the Masters at any point, then we're starting to talk about, you know, there's only five guys I think that have ever completed the career Grand Slam. And obviously there's some drama as far as how's Tiger going to play because this is seemingly the event that every year that he has a chance to actually still compete in. But there's probably going to be somebody that emerges, like Cameron Young's already three under through uh, three holes. We'll see if John Rahm's had a great start to his year. Can he continue that? Uh and the live guys, let's go ahead and talk about the live guys, with the, like Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith, chief among them. How is Augusta National going to handle them? And how are the fans going to handle them? And can they go out and beat some of these guys? And, you know, it would be quite the story on Sunday if, you know, it's Rory McIlroy versus Dustin Johnson in the final pairing. So it's PJ Tour versus live. And, and you just don't see that in most other sports. Yeah, that's almost exactly – we can almost expect that that's how the Masters are going to end. It only seems fitting. I mean, you know, it's 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 basically how they're drawing it up. It's going to be a live golfer like, you know, Justin – Dustin Johnson, uh, a PGA uh, a PGA faithful like John Ram or the Scotty Scheffler in the final pairing as they head in the back nine. Uh, it's it's going to be a big pissing contest between the PGA and the live tour. Uh, the media has been putting it up that way, and – uh, it's definitely going to, it's only fitting that's going to end that way as we head into uh, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Can you imagine Jay Monahan? He's going to, if, if the live, if a live guy ends up winning the masters, he's going to be tight as a drum because he's been very vocal against live. And, you know, it's going to be like when you're a parent, you're watching your kid go up against the bully and then the bully kicks your kid's ass. Like he, he's going to have to deal with that if that mm -hmm. ends up being the case. But I mean, Brooks and it's not impossible. Brooks Kepka has been competitive. He's won four majors and he just won the live event last week. Dustin Johnson's playing pretty well, but I, you probably would favor a guy like John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, guys that have been consistent at these events before. I think those are probably the first names you'd come to mind if you're picking on a, a big a master's betting pool. You mentioned Rory McIlroy. Um, of the five men that have the career uh, grand slam in the history of the PGA, uh, they've done it in three tries or fewer. So three years and or fewer. Uh, this will yeah. be the ninth year that Rory McIlroy comes into Augusta uh, looking for that green jacket and solidifying his career grand, uh, grand slam. So it'll be interesting to see if he can do it. Yeah, only three people uh, have defended the Masters Championship this year uh, in the history of the Masters. We have Jack Nicklaus, uh, Nick Faldo, and Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods did it, of course, in 2002. What uh, do you any shot on uh, Scotty Scheffler being able to do it uh, this year and be the fourth player to the to defend uh, Masters title? I think there's a shot. I think he's he's got a chance, and you know, I don't th I don't know if he wins, but I think there's there's a good chance. I mean, you know, but there's four. You know, he could be the fourth player. You know, there's a reason why there's three players. You know that have repeated in the masters this course is set up perfectly for him to do it because he dominated it last year he won by three but that was misleading because he double bogeyed the last hole because he's already thinking about winning the tournament but he repeated his waste management championship he's the number one ranked golfer in the world uh he's second this season as far as strokes under par yeah i don't think there's any question scotty scheffler could be you if you said scotty scheffler was the favorite to win the masters i wouldn't argue with you 
What are your thoughts on Tiger Woods this year? As we uh, begin this recording, uh, just teed off at about 10 o'clock uh, a.m. on Thursday, uh, just an hour or so before we we're doing this recording now. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of ex expectations for him. He hasn't uh, lost. He hasn't he hasn't not made the cut at the Masters uh, in tw his 22 times there. So this will be his 23rd time if he does make the cut that he has made the cut in a row. He, like I said, never in his career has he missed the uh, cut the Masters. Uh, since the rankings became official in 1986, the uh, world golf rankings, uh, he is the only person that has won multiple majors at uh, number one spot. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. What, what are you guys thoughts on Tiger Woods this year as, as we head into uh, this weekend? I pretty much just expect him to make the cut, and that's about it. I mean, Tiger Woods is kind of the Wilt Chamberlain of golf. You know, when you watch an NBA game, and it's like this: these guys in history have done – this like they scored 60 points pulled down 20 rebounds 10 assists they're like Luka Doncic is the first player to ever do this or the second player Will Chamberlain did it 15 times like that's what Tiger Woods is to golf like we talk about weeks at number one or how many tournaments he's won like John Rahm became the first guy since Tiger to win three of the first four PGA events oh yeah Tiger mm -hmm. did it five times before that like so that's kind of his legacy but as far as this year I pretty much just think he's his goal is to make the cut and I don't think it's going to be much more than that yeah, I think that's pretty much the consensus is if he makes the cut, that's going to be a win. I think both of the media and Tiger himself, uh, you, you could hear it in his press conference he had uh, just the last couple of days. Um, his expectations are not to win, win it all this year. I think he's just thankful that he has his leg at this point. He's thankful for his health and just being able to even walk around without a wheelchair. So, uh, yeah, if he makes the cut, that's, that's absolutely fine for him, and he would take that and, and run with that in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. It would be a plus for him, but he, could, he probably doesn't make the cut this year. You don't think he makes the cut? No, I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, he just, you know, he wants, you know, he's not the same player he was, you know, years ago, obviously. And with the health concerns and everything else that he's had, you know, the past couple of years, you know, I think he's just going to going to lay low. I think he's going to lay low for this one. Now we'll head over to uh, San Francisco and uh, talk some San Francisco sports with uh, Daryl Johnson. Okay, we now head to the San Francisco area to bring on Daryl Johnson from 95.7 The Game, host of Steiny and Guru from 10 to 2 Pacific Time on uh, 95.7 The Game. Catch them on Odyssey. Uh, how you doing, Daryl? I'm doing great. I appreciate the invite. A lot of stuff going on, hoops. Call it a uh, football draft upon us, so I'm fired up. Absolutely. Well, let's start with football then. Uh, you're uh, the NFC, uh, 49er fans. Uh, do they think they should have been in the Super Bowl? And do they think they would have had a better outcome than the Eagles did if they did make the Super Bowl? You know what? It's interesting, and a lot of Niner fans feel like they didn't actually get to see the two best teams in the NFC duke it out. And I understand with Brock Purdy getting hurt. But you know why he got hurt? Because the Niners offensive line, or backup tight end, missed his assignment. And Philadelphia, as you know, their ferocious front got to Brock Purdy and not just hit him. They knocked him out the game and basically left the Niners with one quarterback who then got knocked out in Johnson um, to basically have a running back try to play that position. So for me, I feel like the better team won because they earned it, and they put you in a situation that wasn't comfortable testing your depth. But 49er fans, uh, to get back to your original question, 
they do feel like there's meat left on the bone. They feel like they weren't beat. But to me, I'm on the other side. I'm like, the Eagles, you got to tip your cap and give them credit. Um, Fred Warner, Nick Bosa also left that game. Uh, if, if if you remember, or, well, I know you do, but our, the fans listening remember, they also left that game. So the fans actually think that if the 49ers were healthy, so a healthy 49ers team against a healthy Eagles team, the fans absolutely believe that they would have been the ones headed to the Super Bowl then. There's no doubt. Yes, that's the sentiment. And, you know, fan is short for fanatic. I, I, I get that sentiment too, but just to say Philly, who – you know, earned the number one seed because they were the best team, you know, all season long. They have the defense. They got explosive receivers, a beautiful running game, and a dynamic quarterback. To me, all that came to uh, the forefront at home in Philadelphia. So I just – that bothers me that some Niner faithful feel like, you know what, it wasn't a fair fight. But to me, it was. And you can't take any, anything away from the Eagles. Yeah, it wasn't a great game, unfortunately, for the casual fan. Oh, the fans that weren't in, you know, weren't for the Eagles or the 49ers. It really was not a good game. But the fans have to be uh, optimistic about next season, though, going into the uh, this 2023 season, 2024, 2023-2024 uh, season. I mean, Brock, per uh, yeah, Brock Purdy is going to be out for probably, what, the first how many weeks do they think Brock Purdy is going to be out after that new surgery to his elbow? You know what? It's it's all dependent on nobody actually knows, but if the glass is half full, then he'll be ready for week one, which I don't believe. Uh, you know, this is very delicate when you talk about your elbow and this surgery that was performed on him. And some feel like, okay, what if it's three or four weeks? Then do we see Trey Lance? And there's so much going on in regard to the quarterback position with the Niners, and you just touched on it. Oh, okay, they're in good hands. And I know they just brought in Sam Darnold, but this is about Kyle Shanahan and his decision a couple years ago to move mountains and go up in the draft and basically, to me, draft an unknown commodity in Trey Lance, who didn't play big-time college football. So we saw two a game and a half of Trey Lance last year before he got hurt. And, guys, I got to tell you, people were offended as too strong. They were flabbergasted at the game plan Kyle Shanahan came up with for Trey Lance. He didn't it, – it wasn't uh, – it didn't look fondly on uh, Trey Lance and his ability to throw the ball. I felt like with a lot of fans, they were trying to hide Trey Lance and his lack of accuracy. So here we go. He gets hurt, and then here comes basically the NFL version of Rudy and, and, and Brock Purdy. It was incredible – but now Brock gets hurt, and I feel like we're Niner fans and faithful are facing the question of, you know what, Kyle? You're going to have to wear this. I'm not saying I don't think Trey Lance can get it done, but had Brock Purdy not gotten hurt, I don't think we see Trey Lance for a couple years, if that. So now here we are where, hey, Trey, go out there and show us what you can do, but now we're going to compare you to Mystery Relevant who went undefeated in the regular season with the Niners. So this is crazy. And I just feel like without a savvy veteran or Jimmy Garoppolo anymore, I mean, yeah, the Niners are loaded, but they're just the uncertainty at the quarterback position is everything. Well, a lot of people say that uh, the quarterback doesn't matter in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Now, I never really understood what that means. Of course, the quarterback matters. He's the most important position in all of football. But let me ask you this. I know people are concerned about 
uh, Trey Lance next season, uh, starting off the starting off for the 49ers here. But let me ask you this. Are they at least excited to see what he can bring to the table? Because excited and uh, optimistic are different things, right? You can mm. definitely be concerned that he's not going to be able to get it done. But are any fans like, what do you, what do you sense from the fans? Are they at least saying like, Hey, I'm at least excited to see what this kid can do. You know what? It's a great question. And I would say it's, it's split down the middle. Some, some are really turned off from what they didn't see. And it was a short sample size when Trey Lance took over. And you know what guys, he didn't have the luxury at all to step on the football field and have the defense have to be worried about McCaffrey. Brock Purdy did, but I'll say this when you talk about mannerisms at the quarterback position. Brock Purdy, his eyes stay downfield. I can't take anything away from the kid. You look at the point production for the Niners offense, uh, George Kittle looking like Travis Kelsey in regard to catching the ball. There was a difference, and when Trey was under center, they treated him like Earl Campbell. He was a running back, but now when he does get back on the field, talking about Trey Lance, He'll have that luxury of having uh, to hand the ball off and throw to McCaffrey. So for me and some fans, that does equate to excitement, but we cannot shake the lack of accuracy that we saw, the 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 inability to, you know, take the ball, you know, hold the ball and run um, from Trey Lance because, yeah, I don't know if you guys heard the reports not too long ago, anonymous obviously, but they were saying some of the Niner brass were disappointed that they thought uh, Trey Lance was faster. So I got to believe that's just – there's no way there's any merit to that. But mm-hmm. if you're telling me they're looking at Trey Lance and they're disappointed with his legs already, I'm like, man, does he really have a fair chance? So uh, some are excited and some are just Brock purdied out because of what he did that they don't even want to find out what's behind curtain number one. So Brock Purdy, uh, probably at least three months out before he even starts throwing the football again, I read. Maybe two months if he makes good progress. Uh, Six months out, probably from now, maybe five again until he actually starts playing. Like you said, they think he's going to come back first game of the season, but that's very optimistic, almost too optimistic. And I think it's interesting interesting that given that situation and the uncertainty that they have with uh, Trey Lance, it's what was the decision to really let go of Garoppolo? I mean, he he he's not a bad quarterback by any means, and they certainly could use him in the beginning of the season. It's interesting. And, you know, I, I've been on the other side to where Jimmy's I've taken him for granted. And he's been the poster child uh, when Niners lose. He's been the poster child for the 2019 Super Bowl for one throw, which was to Emmanuel Sanders. It was overthrown. But the bottom line is he had he had quarterbacked the Niners to a 10-point lead with under six minutes left. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley blows the assignment. Niners lose. And Kyle Shanahan, who I think is a Jedi, a genius, but there are situational play-calling issues with Kyle that he's got to get over the hump. But Jimmy took a lot of, you know, a lot of criticism for the Niners' losses, but when you look in totality, it is starting record as NFL quarterback. He's 31-17 and 17 as a Niner, 4-2 and two, uh, as the starter in the playoffs. So to answer your question, I, be- I believe his lack of availability was more than uh, his lack of play. There are a couple seasons that he's gotten hurt and the Niners needed him and he wasn't there. 
And that's why I believe Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch shocked the world and went to get Trey Lance. It wasn't so much that, you know, Jimmy wasn't giving them dynamic quarterback play. Now, does Jimmy Garoppolo have the strongest arm? No. Can he throw outside the hashes? Is that his forte? No. But let me tell you what, and you just touched on it. When he quarterbacks the Niners, they win a majority of their games. So I was out at training camp last year, and it was so – it was uncanny. They were kind of telling Jimmy it's over, kind of like don't even be on the practice field. We got a, we got a, we got something behind the buildings, Jimmy. Just don't be a part of this. And lo and behold, you know, uh, Lance gets hurt, and they got to go back to Jimmy. And Jimmy, you know, quarterbacks them to wins, and then he gets hurt. So to me, the reason Jimmy's no longer here and his ten years over, yeah, okay, he didn't have the strongest arm, but it was just because they couldn't depend on him because his body would let him down and he would continuously get hurt. Uh, yeah, winning is what matters, right? It doesn't matter how flashy you are. It really only matters that you win, especially for the fans, right? That's all they care about. But it's interesting. I, I am curious, though. I mean, right now, 99th pick in the draft, 49ers sit at. So I heard reports about potentially getting a quarterback and uh, maybe having them develop, I mean, maybe having Trey Lance develop under them, but you're not going to get a quarterback with the 99th pick. Uh, not not a good quarterback anyway. That would be worth that pick. But um, let let let's talk about the draft go going into okay. it. What what do the four ers plan to do this offseason, Given that they really don't have a whole lot of draft capital. I mean, we know they they uh, gave up this year's draft uh, first yeah. round pick for Trey Lance. Uh, they got Christian McCaffrey. They gave up a second round pick and a third round pick this year for him. Um, I, I guess let, let me ask you this: Looking back on it now that we're in the situation. Are the 49ers fans pissed off about the Trey Lance trade? So, well, oh, the yes, draft, they, yes, they are. Yeah. Yes, they Drafting are. Drafting up? Yes, they are. No doubt. And you had mentioned, uh, I, we hadn't talked about it. I'll bring it up. But McGlinchey, he went to Denver, and he was public enemy number one, too, because a lot of people took him for granted. You know, he was better pass blocking than run blocking. But at the end of the day, they still got to find a way. And I know the NFL, you find gems in the later rounds where the Niners will be drafting, but McGlinchey is gone, and they got to they gotta really look into their offensive line depth. So to me, that's one of their biggest issues. They lost a bunch of guys on the defensive line and in the secondary, including Jimmy Ward. So, you know, they got Steve Wilkes. This will be the first year as him being the new defensive coordinator, but that offensive line is everything. So I'm looking to see, and not a trade for the Niners, but that's just a position that, that they'll be focused on. And hopefully they can, you know, find a diamond in the rough to protect whoever's under center. Because you saw what happened in Philly on that, that January game where, mm-hmm. you know, the protection broke down and then you had no chance because your quarterback is, you know, has a surgery pending because of his hit. So that's your – the 99th pick, unless considering – Yeah, there's no that- doubt to me. I think it's an offensive lineman. Okay, interesting. Just to kind of booster up that yeah. uh, pass pass protection, help uh, give the quarterback a little bit more time in the pocket. There, I also heard a little bit about a tight end as well, uh, maybe to help Kittle and Warner. Is that something that's also on the table? I, I mean, a tight end you can get a decent tight end, especially you know a, a dark horse that you can develop well. You can get a good tight end uh, late in the draft. I think. Yeah, you can. But right Athletic. now, I feel like that would be a luxury, especially when you got Kittle. 
And we talk about Croft, who's the backup tight end. He actually missed the block that allowed uh, Reddick to to hit. Uh, <laughs> so some question that play call or just the construction of the play. But I, I believe they're set there. But if you look around, you know, a, a, a bunch of teams are running multiple tight end for, uh, formations. I just believe with losing McGlinchey and just the state of the line outside of uh, uh, Trent Williams, that that 99th pick, there's no doubt in my mind that I believe it'll go towards the offensive line. Now, I could be wrong, but tight end, hey, they might do it, but I just feel like right now that's a position of strength for them. So Tyler Tyler Croft is staying, as uh, as far as you know, with the 49ers. I know he was a potential to leave this year, but yeah. they, uh, they did end up keeping him, which is good to hear, help uh, Kittle a little bit. In that midcourt or midfield, a little uh, with the tight end position, it's a good tight end class though this year. I mean, obviously these players probably won't be around uh, when you get the 99th pick, but still interesting to point out. I mean, uh, Dalton Kincaid from Utah, Darnell Washington nice. from Georgia, yeah. Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, uh, Luke Musgrave. A lot of good names for tight ends. So, I, you know, like I said, not really pertinent to the 49ers, but still something I just thought would be interesting to bring up because I don't think tight ends get enough attention in the draft. I think it's definitely obviously the quarterback is the number one uh, talked about position. And then I think after the quarterback, a lot of linemen are really brought up uh, as, as far as the need goes. But what about the pass rush uh, for the 49ers? Anything they want to do with the pass rush? Because uh, that's something I read that the uh, 49ers could definitely use help with and improve this year uh going into the offseason you know what is interesting you bring that up because i just think about this niner defense halfway through the year led by bosa who's just he's phenomenal we we can all agree and he's probably going to break the bank uh i expect that to come this offseason with this new contract but people were comparing this niner defense last year i was hearing bray lewis's baltimore ravens and i was like slow down i was hearing um, Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. And they had earned that. But they, I believe, to a degree got figured out in the sense that, hey, you just brought it up, a tight end. We could chip Bosa because I don't believe Armstead or anybody else on the defensive line was asserting himself. Kinlaw's been a bust. I think his days with the Niners are done. So I watched the Seattle game in the first round of the playoffs, and at halftime, fellas, the Seahawks, to me, with Walker at the running back position, controlled the game. And, I, you know, I wasn't blaming anybody, but I'm like, hey, if this is a, the, the, the all-time defense, there's I, I, I just feel like there would be more ruckus. So they won the game, but the defensive line wasn't dominant. Then Dallas comes in here. Dak Prescott was Santa Claus. Mm. They had some success uh, running the ball and, and throwing the ball in the air until his bonehead – uh, just a bad decision making, and it helped the Niners win that game. No shade. And then Philly in the NFC Championship game, they just couldn't get home at all to me. So, and I always remind the Niner fan base, hey, when the Eagles did score, they were long drives, and the mm -hmm. Niners didn't stop them. So, what do they go do? They go the first day of free agency get Hargrave from the Eagles. The team that's going to be in your way, a guy that had 11 sacks, what, missed three games in his seven-year NFL career. So to me, I'm like, whoa, you guys did something in free agency the first day that is going to help Bosa be more dynamic 
or free somebody up on the defensive line because they know what I'm saying had merit. And now I just feel like, hey, watch out. This Niner defensive line just got enhanced. Now, I will say this. They've lost uh, Ebucom. Uh, they've lost some, some other rotational guys uh, on the defensive line, but nothing that will compare to what they inherited with that uh, weakening Phillies defensive line and getting a guy that could get after the quarterback. I, I thought that was an excellent move by John Lynch and company. What else do you think the 49ers do with the defense? They need somebody in the secondary. And when I say somebody, they need a cornerback. They need a couple of cornerbacks. And, you know, a kudos to Robert Sala and also kudos to uh, the new Houston Texan head coach, uh, D'Amico Ryan, because basically they had to come up with a defensive game plan week in, week out, you know, predicated on rookies, taking care of their business, not getting picked on. And it worked out for the most part until the NFC championship game. So to me, they need not just one corner, but a couple cornerbacks. And I had mentioned they lost Jimmy Ward. Uh, he's no longer with them. And they lost Emmanuel Mosley. He's gone. So that's going to be another position of emphasis. But again, it comes down to, you know, like your partner said, we're, they're not drafting to number 99. But we know there's talent there. It's just about their evaluation and what they can come up with. But cornerback and uh, offensive lineman is is just yearning to be addressed by this team. So it sounds like they got even better than last season. So I can only imagine from the fans' perspective, they're thinking Super Bowl bound this year. You know right. what? That, that, that's a great point. That's how I feel. But, you know, I mentioned Ward, Jimmy Ward. He, he I mean, he was physical. And, you know, he was their leader. He's gone. So, you know, a cornerback's best friend, obviously, is a defensive lineman in the pass rush. But I'm eager to see how they're going to fill those voids left by Ward and Mosley because if they don't, you know, whoever it is, then, you know, it's not going to matter if, if, if teams are feeling like they can just pass the ball on you. Absolutely. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, change gears here now. Uh to uh, hockey and basketball. We're heading into the playoffs now for both uh, hockey and basketball. Let me ask you, what what are the fans more just – I just want the fan perspective. Uh, what are they more excited about, the Clippers or the Kings? Because obviously basketball is a little bit more popular in America. Uh, I can only imagine in L.A. too. Uh, but the Kings actually have a very real shot of winning the title this year. Well, the Clippers uh, – you know, they, they definitely have a shot, too, but way less of a shot than the Kings do. So are the fans more excited about ice this year or going into the uh, summer? Or are they more excited about the hardwood, uh, given the fact that the Kings really have a chance to bring home a title to L.A.? You know what? It, it, it's interesting. I feel like you left out a team because I feel like L.A. belongs to the Lakers and we don't know the prognosis on LeBron, but Anthony Davis has been trying to hold it down. So no disrespect to the Clippers and Kawhi, and hopefully Paul George is not finishing. But I'm going to go with the Kings and the ice. And I don't feel like they're getting enough run, but there's a lot of buzz here uh, in regard to what they can do and the heights they can reach. I don't think the L.A. basketball, the diehards, look at the Clippers, you know, with the threshold of, you know what, if you guys – kind of just up your game and bring your A game, you got a chance to beat the likes of a, of a Denver Nuggets or a Memphis Grizzlies. Now, people will be watching, and that's why I just go to the ice because I feel like, you know, 
fans have seen the Kings in the past, and I feel like right now when you look at the landscape in the NHL, I feel like they got action, more action or more of a realistic chance than going farther than the Lakers and Clippers. Definitely, and that's why I asked because I know hockey, obviously in America, and especially, like I said, L.A., uh, probably is less popular than basketball is. Uh, and, I, and I leave out the Clipper, or I leave out the Lakers, excuse me. Currently, uh, out of out of the playoff game, uh, only a game behind the Jazz. Right. But the Jazz are playing very well lately. Uh, Timberwolves, I think, are kind of stagnant right now. Um, they've been playing well, and then Dallas obviously is always a threat. But you know, I could definitely see them going over Oklahoma City, and you know, especially if the Timberwolves, uh, yeah, stag- stagnant here with Towns, but. Let me ask, I mean, are fans even still excited about the Lakers as a, you know, overall as a fan base? Are they still excited more about the Lakers than even the Clippers, even despite the Clippers having more success than the Lakers this year and a much better out or outlook in the playoffs? You know what? I feel like they are. And I feel like it starts with management. Rob Polinko, I mean, he couldn't even show his face for a little bit. I felt like at the arena because he was public enemy number one. And you say, well, why is that? Because you're wasting LeBron James, who before he got hurt was playing at a high level. What are you surrounding him with? Why did you bring in Westbrook? And if you guys look around, the Lakers, I think, won the trading deadline. They basically, like like a hockey line change, they just they got some players. They got more athletic. And then Anthony Davis has been on a roll up until last Sunday. And I really believe now that LeBron, Anthony Davis, uh, NBA fans, players feel like if he comes back and they got a chance, and now we're talking about, and you just mentioned the standings because I'm watching it and I'm rooting for it. I just think the NBA is better when the Lakers are in, the Yankees and Cowboys. I'm just one of those guys. But I really believe with the team that they got now, the length, the defense, and you're talking about when healthy, and that's for Anthony Davis, two top ten players, which I believe both of them are, no, the, the the word on the street is nobody wants to play this Laker team in a play-in or playoff series. And that's all predicated on LeBron and this ankle. But uh, you're right. Right now they're 11th, nine games left, I believe. A big game tonight against Phoenix. I just think they got a chance at really making some noise, but they got to do their part and qualify. Yeah, it's pretty safe to say that both the Lakers and the Clippers are pretty much – any playoff hopes or at least going far in the playoffs are shattered if LeBron doesn't come back or no George doesn't. doesn't come back uh, respectfully. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like I said, uh, a half a game behind Utah uh, at the time that we're recording this, uh, as you said, uh, nine games left about in the, in the season, nine to 10 games left for each team here in the season. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, I love the playoffs. Uh, March Madness ends. And then we go straight into uh uh nhl and nba playoffs which is uh always fantastic to see uh what uh anything else you want to bring up daryl that, that's happening in the uh san francisco sports scene that we uh might have well yeah I, I i don't know how much you guys have followed i'm a big diehard baseball fan uh i'm mm-hmm. mad at baseball and if i'd like to tell you why i'm mad please do. Uh, I, i'm mad because it's tr- i called it joan rivers you know it's I love Joan, but she was known for getting faith lifts. And that just tells you, you know, she wasn't happy with some things. And I hate that baseball feels like it needs to be faster. It needs to be more dynamic. 
The bases need to be bigger. There's more of a pitch clock. And I've said on air on my show, I wish it was just like golf. Love me for how I am. And if this is not for you, hey, fine. You can do something else. But I just, I'm, I am so scared to sit down, come opening day, and watch these pitchers with the pitch clock. Watch a batter get rewarded first base if the the if if the pitcher doesn't you know throw the ball in time. I just don't understand with the the history of as long as Major League Baseball that it would feel like it needs to appeal to a young crowd. Now I get that, but let me tell you too. No, but none of these young kids are running to the ballpark to watch baseball because it's fifteen minutes faster. Mm-hmm. That really bothers me. But, hey, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball feel like it is, so no shift. Uh, That bothers me. It's like, why can't I do this, you know? But I get what's going on. I just don't understand it. And I don't think it's going to get the return on dividends that that it thinks by having bigger bases and a pitch clock. No, you definitely it's definitely one of those situations where the reward is not going to uh right. be it, it's not gonna outweigh the risk. And right. Bob Nightingale from USA Today uh just a couple of weeks ago as well. And we had this discussion too, just being how I think that the pitch clock in particular is what we're discussing now. I don't think it's a big deal in the preseason because I don't think the games matter. Right. A great point. <laughs> and people are making a big deal about how, hey, it's, you know, no one's complaining about the pitch count right now. It must be a good thing. Well, no one's complaining because there's nothing on the line. So it'll be interesting to see when the games actually matter. I mean, I, I joked around saying how we're going to be having uh, instant review to see if a batter was in the batter box in time right. after eight seconds. And it's gonna, it can absolutely yeah. get ridiculous. And it, like I said, especially with baseball, with just every pitch matters and every game matters. And Managers are always trying to get the most out of the game they possibly can, uh, tweak any advantage they can out of out of the system. So it it can definitely get ridiculous. I mean, I the bigger bases I don't think really make a big difference. Uh, I think the I think teams are going to start to manipulate and kind of mess around with the infield shifts as well. They're gonna there's definitely going to be scandals and trouble that comes out with that. So yeah, yeah no, I agree. I think that it's just the the risk of the things that they're going to bring about uh, potentially are just not uh, worth the um, the reward that 15 to 30 minutes faster games that they have. Well, those are great points. And, and your, your reasoning on why the uh, I'm going to use that too. To, I'm going to tell my partner, I had this discussion, but you know, yeah, everything's all good now because the games don't matter. So please don't use, you know, the extra, spring training to say oh you know it's fixed and we got this coming so that was an excellent point i'm a purist i love the game uh i'll be watching but you know the bigger bases the analytics tell us that a stolen base nobody wants to even do it anymore because they're trying to hit the home run i get it but uh i'll be watching i just don't think young people now in the era of the phone and this technology that baseball's it has a problem i'll admit it but it's technology that's in your way more so than how the game is played. Yeah. And like you said too, people don't go to baseball games to, because, you know, people aren't going to stop going to baseball games because it's going to be 30 minutes 
shorter. People well, aren't going to not watch baseball on TV because it's 30 minutes shorter. I mean, people are doing homework. They're doing chores while baseball is on anyhow. It's, right. not, like the, it's not like the game being any shorter is going to really matter. I will say the the bigger bases uh, and the infield shifts, not allowing infield shifting, that it might allow more scoring, which I think is going to be yeah. good for baseball. Okay. Uh, there, I got there'll you. be more steals uh, allowed for with bigger bases, or at least more attempted steals, and then obviously there'll be a lot more hits, uh, not allowing the infielders to shift. So, you know, it's it's really just interesting. I'm, I'm just I I think the pitch count, like like you're alluding to, like like we're talking about now, I think that's going to be a disaster. I really do. I think that's going to, I I might even uh, make a prediction that it might not even be back next year because it's going to be such a bad. Wow. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe two years, maybe two years. I think they'll have to get a couple of more data on it, but uh, I think the fans are going to complain so much about it. But more importantly, the pitchers and the padders are going to complain uh, more about it, and I think this is going to be too too much for them. But I, I am going to, I do, I am interested to see the average score count for games go up with these bigger yeah. bases and uh, no infield shifting, which I think we will see happen. I gotta, I gotta be honest because you got, you guys are great. A couple years ago, I, I was the guy up on the building on the rooftop saying I hated the shift. I, I'm watching a baseball game, and I know what used to be a hit. And I guess I was saying that coming from a place that I didn't think Major League Baseball would ever ban it. And here I am. Now that we found out they're going to, you know, kind of enforce not doing it as much, I'm mad. So it, I'm just talking to myself, like, which which way do you want it? So you're right. There's going to be more action, and maybe that'll be good for the game. But I, I'll say this. Uh, when you watch the NBA and you watch football on Thursdays, even Saturdays and Sundays, and you look at Twitter or Instagram, all the other sports do a better job, even golf, putting a, you know a highlight. And I don't think baseball does enough to market their stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big Otani fan. And the action on a nightly basis. So hopefully – They'll have more to choose from, but we'll see how that works out. Well, baseball. What did you bad... think of? Um, I'm sorry. What did you think of Otani? I mean, he did a lot yeah. for Japan. It sounds like to. Uh, it looks like to bring home the World Baseball Classic for Japan as well. It's incredible. He's incredible, and I want to get your 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 guys' thoughts on this because we just had this discussion. So he's a free agent uh, after this year. And he may get a five, six hundred million dollar contract. And guys, if I was writing a check, he would get it. But in in the states, we're so, and, and I'll use NBA for a matter. It's getting ruined right now with load management. You know, people that can't afford games that decide to go to a game to see a great Stephen Curry, and you don't know if he's out. You can't get those that back. And right now, when you're watching NBA game, you don't know who's in or who's out. And I say that to say is. Has Otani and his presence, is that going to have an impact at the high school level right now in the States? Or a coach is going to say, you know what, the science doesn't, we don't want you to do that. And I remember Michael Jordan, the boom, be like Mike. I tried to. <laughs> I failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Steph Curry with the three-pointer. I, I'm seeing kids in CYO try it. No, I'm not saying you can be Steph, but I want to get your guys' thoughts. Do you think what Otani is doing with the bat and pitching that we see more American-born players do that or try to get to that plateau? It's interesting. Uh, I'm actually afraid the opposite. I'm, I'm afraid that they take away talent from either side. And what I mean by that, and I'm trying to explain is, you know, are, peop- are kids going to grow up and strive to – 
be the best at both pitching and hitting? And are they going to have a less, uh, are they going to have a worse product on both sides because they were trying mm. to be the best wow. on both sides? You know what I mean? Like you have to, when you get to a certain age, I mean, everyone, when you're a kid, not that I ever played baseball to be completely honest, but when you're a kid, you start out pitching and hitting, right? When you're young enough yeah. to do that. But when you get to a certain age, you know, you definitely have to decide. Yeah, I'm a hitter. I'm, I'm an offensive player. I'm an outfielder, whatever, or I am a pitcher. Uh, and I don't hit. I don't, you know, dedicate my time to hitting. So I'm interested to see, you know, like you said, I, I think Otane, it's not going to have a huge uh, impact at the high school level yet, per se. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see what's going to happen if if kids try to become too optimistic, I guess, for lack of better words, and they, they really try to develop both skills and actually end up not perfecting one or the other and having a uh less less lesser product yeah i think it'll be interesting to see how the american-born players really try to emphasize otani and really just you know try and be a hitter and a pitcher you know babe Man. ruth was obviously the one yeah. player you know way back in the day that comes to our minds as an american-born player way back when to both play right field and and pitch you know, I think that's that's definitely going to, you know, talk about bringing more revenue and more audience to the sport. I think that's what the sport needs. You know, you know, the rule change, it's not it's maybe it isn't the worst thing, but it isn't the best thing. Maybe you need more guys like Otani who can hit and pitch. I think that could really make the game in more interesting than these rule changes. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I'll just say this. And and I keep I, I hate to because uh, my partner on the show kind of echoed uh, those sentiments about you know jack of all trades master of none because you're trying to do too much and not you know just have one definitive skill. But when Otani signs his contract, and I'm not saying money moves everyone, I I get that. But the amount and the attention that's coming Otani's way and whatever team pays them that amount of money, I guess that's where I kind of go. Uh, not trying to say money is everything when I talk about impact, because if you can get five or 600 million to do both, because it's essentially two players, that's where I'm just like, how does a young kid or even a guy in college not try to mirror that? That's all. Yeah. And you really don't even have to be, I mean, obviously Shohei Tane is amazing for being able to do both, but you can definitely be, almost just as popular i consider myself a lay baseball fan okay i'm not a huge baseball fan but i know say you know uh uh, uh altuve as much as i know okay you know Shohei yeah right. yeah right it's like i don't so to, to me it's like yeah what he does is amazing but if you're really aspiring to be a good baseball player i don't think you need to be a two-way player in order to be making the biggest dollars okay. the biggest contracts or even to have you know the most fan recognition because like i said i for me personally i know shohei Itani as much as like i said i know altuve um i don't i don't even know what their contracts are they're probably the same in my mind i don't even know like that's just what i mean like as a lay baseball fan uh their uh notoriety and like their like amount of fame is the same to me that, that's interesting and and your partner brought up babe ruth and that's just right there. Like, do we need to say, you know, are the two more famous words in sports, Babe Ruth, and he did it. And I guess I may I need to do a term paper or a thesis on 
why did it stop? But I know it stopped because of the science. And, and like you had mentioned, you, you don't want to kind of spread yourself too thin and get hurt or just be the best at, 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 you know, being a hitting the ball and playing defense. But I'm just – I'll be watching because when I watch him pitch and he's great at both, I mean, it's captivating. And I don't use that word or verbiage, more, you know, a lot. But it's just like you know you're watching something special and unique. Absolutely. Now, I want to finish up here. It's been awesome, Daryl. But I want to finish up with the two teams that we okay. have, uh, the two baseball teams that we actually have in Los Angeles right now. So the Dodgers and the Angels. We talked We talked to, like I said, Bob Nightingale. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, not Bob Nightingale, Jeff Fletcher a couple of weeks ago as well, uh, writer for uh, the Angels. We uh, He gave us a little bit of run su- insight into the Angels. Uh, he thinks they're going to make the playoffs this year. I think they're going to be right on the edge, just like they were this year. I'm not really sure what your thoughts on there. But the Dodgers, though, particularly I want to uh, highlight because they lost a lot of players this year. They didn't really return many of them that they lost. So Trey Turner, Cody Bellinger, uh, they're gone. Like I said, not particularly replaced by uh, – definitely not replaced by as strong as names as them. And then Justin Turner got replaced for J.D. Martinez, also not a one-to-one swap. So – um, you know, the Dodgers obviously were preseason favorites uh to win it all uh last season. Uh are they preseason favorites to win it all this season with the recent offseason changes they've done this year? You know what? I'm so jealous and envious of just how the organization is ran and the success they've had. You know, and they went on the run with the National League West. And, you know, I felt like they should have had a couple more World Series championships. But to answer your question, it's funny that you asked me this about this team after we have the discussion about Otani, because I've had numerous discussions about, yes, it's kind of odd. The Dodgers are always at Nordstrom's or the biggest high-priced stores spending, but I feel like, you know what? Behind closed doors, they said to themselves, you know what? We want Otani so bad, we're going to save some money. It may hurt in the meantime. Not throwing in the towel on this season because the Padres right now, you know, you would think they're the Dodgers with all the talent they got. But I feel like the Dodgers are waiting in the weeds to make this big play for Otani. So you heard it here first. Hmm. That's why I think they've been kind of quiet this offseason. But I still think, and the beautiful aspect of baseball is it's not like the NBA. You get two of the best players, and it's just me talking. You roll the ball out. Guess what? You got a pretty good chance that you're going to be competing for a championship. And that you look at the Dodgers, it's talent everywhere. Now it's about their depth. You talk about their uh, farm. I mean, what's on the farm for the Dodgers? I feel like they think they got some youngsters that they can get an opportunity and they won't miss a beat. But that takes me to their counterpart, the Angels. How can you have Otani? How can you waste Mike Trout's talent? And they're both on the same team. And I got to tell you, you got to be pretty bad in this new Major League Baseball to not make the playoffs. So if the Angels don't make it this year like they did last year with these two studs, I just think that's a waste. And I thought Moreno was going to sell the team. I'm rooting for the Angels. I'm an Angels fan because I like Trout. I'm a baseball fan, and I like Otani. I don't want to see them just getting wasted. But right now, that that's what's going on. And I could make mm-hmm. a comparison. This wouldn't be fair real quick here. The Clippers are to the to the Lakers what the Angels are to the Dodgers, and yep. that being a wider gap, you know? Absolutely. No, I, I thought that comparison analogy before myself as well. It really is 
and I know we had uh, we talked to somebody else from uh, LA as well, uh, uh, Maria Cerrillo from uh, KBTB, and we we talked about how that was kind of the thing with Los Angeles and you know, bigger uh, cities like New York, where yeah. uh, you know when you have these two teams, one team has to win out over the other, and it's kind of like this dichromity where the fans have to decide, you know, what, what side they're on. And a lot of times it comes down to how they were raised and the family that they were raised in, uh, what they end up becoming themselves. So yeah, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I agree. That's an interesting point about Shohei Otane about the wasted talent, uh, which I agree. I, I think he's way too good just to be on a, you know, team yeah. that just misses the playoff playoffs or just makes the playoffs, but either way, uh, yeah, I would love to see him on the Dodgers. That's, but I haven't actually heard that take yet. Is that something that is? No, that's just that's just. A, yeah. I got a bunch. I'm surrounded by a bunch of a bunch of Dodger fans, hmm. and this offseason, they didn't make a play at Judge. You know, they they weren't a player in the Judge. Everything was just okay. Correa, we, you know, and they lost some guys. They lost some good players, as you just mentioned. And I said to myself, a light went off and said, oh. They might be saving their money for Otani, <laughs> right? I yeah. I just feel like the Dodgers that would be if he went to L.A. He'd be the king. Well, he's there now, but this would be the varsity of the uh, not the JV like the Angels are because they they got a bunch of holes. I'm rooting for him, but there the, Otani knows too. But could you imagine him in a Dodger uniform and just what that would mean playing high level baseball in the white yeah. bluish if there's Ravine? Well, what would happen in that situation? Would he be liked in LA I mean I mean like we just talked about how Dodgers have a lot more fans than the Angels obviously but I mean I can only oh, I imagine think he that would be would a rock animosity star. Yeah. well oh no well animosity from who because you're you're, you're you Angels, know the but, Dodgers yeah. stadium's packed because they love their team they've had success so now you insert him and I think his brand just grows like it's just incredible and I, I said this before about Mike Trout it's not his fault if he were to walk I don't want to call it inner city but let's just say in an urban city in the mall, how mm -hmm. many of these young kids do you think would know him compared to a, you know, this might be a Steph Curry. Like, mm -hmm. it, and that's baseball's fault. That's not a uh, Mike Trout fault. But as far Absolutely. as him being a Dodger, he, I, I just think it would go to the moon in regard to how popular he would be and his brand. And I hear um, whispers that he loves L.A., it's just about, hey, I want to play meaningful baseball because he we haven't talked about it. He's not 21. He's 30 years old. So yeah. we talk about doing both and the wear and tear on the body. You know, you kind of want to strike fast with what he has left. Well, I think they were saying, I heard last night, they were saying how I think Babe Ruth only did two actual seasons of on wow. both sides okay. of the ball. And that's so that's all Shohei already has him beat because this would be, I guess, like really his – third year where he was a true two-way player yeah uh, and that's what they were saying last night when i was listening to the uh world world baseball classic broadcast they were saying that's how he already has uh Babe Ruth beat there because you know like i said Babe Ruth really only two uh actual seasons as a two-way player but Shohei's doing it for three here so but that being said it's only a matter of time until he can't do that anymore right where he really does have to decide okay maybe maybe even by 2024 he's gonna have to decide i'm either a hitter or i'm a, I'm a pitcher so it'll be interesting and yeah uh i can't imagine him going to the dodger would be good for baseball I, I don't know if baseball fans would love it i mean la fans dodgers oh they would hate it that's a great yeah. point but i believe they would hate it the rich get richer i mean you look at san diego and what they've done 
I feel like the Dodgers have been left out. But man, you want to talk about reminding people who they are and what brand they're, you know, that Dodger blue is about, blue and white is about. It, Otani in a LA uniform in the rotation and being able to hit your 40 home runs. I mean, again, I know I'm being redundant, but he's two players in one. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, his contract ends this year. So he will be a free agent after this 2023 season. And uh, Daryl, we'll see what happens with him, with him and where he ends up going or if he stays uh, Angels. And most importantly, will, will, will he continue being a two-way player and how long will he continue to do that? Yeah. Uh, definitely something to keep watch out for. Uh, well, Daryl, this has been awesome. Uh, we have hey, to do thank this again you sometime. for the this invite. Really you guys know where I'm at, and anytime you need me, I really enjoy myself. Thank you, absolutely. Guys so we enjoyed having you. Well, uh, Daryl Johnson uh, from 95.7 The Game, a host of Stiney and Guru from 10 to 2 on 95.7 The Game, and uh, catch them on Audacity and wherever else you listen to your shows. Well, Daryl, we'll do this again sometime. It's been great having you on. Okay. Hey, I really enjoyed it, and don't be a stranger. Thank both of you guys. Thank you. All right, let's finish up the show with our Off the Maps and Long Hauls of the Week. Justin, who is your Off the Map of the Week? My Off the Map of the Week is Brian Reynolds of the Pittsburgh Pirates. So far leading the MLB with four home runs in the first six games of the season and really putting it on for the Pirates, carrying them to victories and definitely hitting the, definitely hitting the ball out of the park, as I just said, with uh, four home runs to start the season for Pittsburgh and definite and for the Pirates, you know, four and two, a pretty shocking start, you know, so far to the season, second in the NL Central, as we just said, uh, Brian Reynolds right there is my off the map of the week. Uh, Zach, how about you? Who is your off the map of the week? My off the radar of the week is the New York Knicks outside of Jalen Brunson. Obi Toppin last night, 32 points, 11 of 18 shooting. Manuel quickly, 39 points. Quentin Grimes had 36 points. So a lot of people say Jalen Brunson is the key to this team making a run. And while he is, it shows that there's a lot of depth behind him. This team's right now the number five seed in the Eastern Conference. They are a very dangerous team to perhaps get out of the first round of the playoffs. They would play the Cavs in the first round. And as a Cavs fan, I hope that they don't beat the Cavs, but – you know, that's going to be a high-scoring series. I think you're going to see a lot of Donovan Mitchell versus Jalen Brunson showdowns. But, you know, I'm going to give my off-the-radar to Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, and Obi Toppin for bowling out last night. 30 – all three of them had 30-plus points. I'm going to go with cornerback from Illinois, uh, Witherspoon, uh, Damian Witherspoon uh, – uh, excuse me, Devin uh, Witherspoon – Back in 2019, uh, he only was 150 pounds at five foot 11. Uh, not very high in the draft boards, but uh, has a high jump that's higher than most cornerbacks in the NFL today. That was back in high school, even on the track and field team. Um, ran a really fast four, uh, 40 yard dash uh, in the combine this year. Uh, this season for Illinois, his last season, he averaged, uh, he allowed 22 catches for 200 yards this last season. Uh, none of which were touchdowns, however, and he only gave up one catch in press coverage. Uh, opponents averaged only 3.3 yards per reception against him, and his 24.6 passer rating allowed was actually the best among Power 5 corners in the game. So not currently high in the draft board. However, I definitely can see uh, Devin Witherspoon going early. Uh, like I said, back in high school and his early days in college, super uh, small guy, wasn't really looked at by a lot of people, scoffed at by a lot of people. Uh, currently at 190 as he enters the combine, 
a lot of people are concerned if he'll be able to keep that weight up in the NFL. I think he will. He's changed his diet. He's changed his workout uh, ethic. So I definitely see Devin uh, Witherspoon being a guy no one's really talking about, but could definitely uh, turn some heads as we uh, enter the combine in uh, next NFL season. Justin, who is your long haul of the week? My long haul of the week is MLB scheduling. So the days off in between opening week, I mean, it makes sense if you have an outdoor stadium, you know, let's say Yankee Stadium, most of the stadiums in Major League Baseball. But if you have a dome like the Rangers or the Astros and you're starting off at home, why don't you just, you know, not have a day off? Just play three games straight and close the roof, you know, instead of... uh, you know, instead of just giving teams a day off, I, I understand, you know, baseball's not played in the rain. Obviously, it's not meant for the rain, but days off in between games, you know, for opening week, yeah. I think that they should just put three straight games or, or four straight games, however many you want to start the season, especially if you're in a dome stadium. That should be incentivized by Major League Baseball. And uh, what's your long haul of the week, Jared? I'm going to go with Tiger Woods. I know we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, I think Tiger Woods is – I don't think this is going to be his year. I'm with you, Justin. Actually, I know you mentioned earlier about him not making the cut. I think he actually does struggle this year making the cut. We mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, 22 consecutive times at the Masters has not missed the cut uh, his whole career, actually, for that matter, at the Masters. Uh, this – this uh, just today, though, first, first round of the Masters – had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning, start practicing six hours before his tea time to even get his body right uh, for the, for the competition. It's going to be something that's going to be really hard to maintain as we head into Friday. He might do good today on Thursday, but I think the Hills and all the walking that he's going to do is really going to catch up to him with that bad leg. Uh, so I, I think Tiger Woods is my long haul of the week. And particularly, I just think people are talking a lot about him. Uh, it's taking away from the other golfers in the groupings. Uh, I, you know, I, obviously we have a lot of other talented golfers, John Ram, Rory McIlroy, uh, of course, all the live golfers coming back, like, you know, Justin Johnson and uh, Bryson and Brooks Kepka. So I just think it's a shame how a lot of the attention does go away from the other golfers in the, in the pairings and the, in the, in the groupings that, Definitely have a chance to make a splash to the Masters, but I think a lot of the attention in the media availability is is going to to a man that ultimately will, I think, struggle this weekend. How about you, Zach? What is your uh, long haul of the week? College basketball officiating. Men, women, I don't care. It is an absolute disaster. How many games have we talked about throughout the NCAA tournament that officiating played a role down the stretch, rightly or wrongly? And think about the ultimate example for me is this past Sunday, Iowa LSU, great national championship game. The problem is it's getting overshadowed by two things that had nothing to do with the game. Number one, obviously, is the Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark debate, which we don't really need to get into. But except to say if Caitlin Clark doesn't care about what Angel Reese did, then you shouldn't care more than she does. But I'll leave it at that. As far as officiating is concerned, that game was just an absolute disgrace. Giving Caitlin Clark a technical foul for throwing a ball behind her back was awful. Getting Iowa, they had four different players with four fouls. A couple of players actually fouled out of that game. It disrupted the complete flow of the game. And part of the reason people say they can't watch a college basketball game all the way through is because there is no flow to these games because officials call everything. The block charge call is just absolutely pitiful at this point because they just do the same thing over and over again. They're rewarding defenses for not being set 
all that kind of stuff. There needs to be full-time officials, and this needs to happen in all of sports. And by the way, I have one thing as far as officials are concerned that needs to be changed. They need to do press conferences after games. Players and coaches screw up during games all the time, and they have to answer for it. The media or the, the officiating crews should have to do the same thing. They should have to answer for why they they messed up this call, why they messed up this out-of-bounds call, why they called this charge. They should not be as protected as they are. It's It's pitiful. Should be in every sport, not just Absolutely. college basketball. Absolutely. More accountability as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, boys, great show. Let's end up with the predictions. Uh, Zach, here's your prediction this, uh, this weekend or this week in general as we head, out, head off the show. The Dallas Mavericks will not make the playoffs. They're okay. currently tied for the final playing spot, but they're not, they don't have the tiebreaker right now. But with Luka, with Kyrie, neither one of these guys can defend you and I. But they're they're great offensive players. Problem is, they don't play well together. They're both guys that need the ball in their hands all the time. They don't mesh well. I don't know why they ever thought this situation was going to work. They they should lose their last two games because they're going to have a top ten protected pick in the draft according to their bylaws or whatever the case may be as far as the trade was concerned. So if they don't make the playoffs, they're guaranteed a top ten draft pick. I think that's what's going to end up happening. The Dallas Mavericks will not make the playoffs, and I think the Lakers will be in the play-in game. They will make it. I think the teams on the outside right now as far as the play-in, I think it's going to end up being the New Orleans Pelicans. I don't know what to expect out of them. They're too inconsistent. Pelicans don't make the playoffs. Uh, Mavs don't make playoffs. The Lakers will make playoffs, and they'll be dangerous depending on who they play. Don't experiment with the Mavericks for sure. Uh, Just I, I don't see Kyrie staying next year. Uh, especially after the showing that they had with him and Luca and the in the failed experiment that they had this year with him coming in halfway through the season. Justin, here's your prediction this week. My prediction is Roy McElroy is going to win the Masters. I think it'll be a big it'll be a showdown between him and Dustin Johnson at the end there. And I think that Roy McElroy comes away with it in a very close contested Masters. My prediction is actually going to go uh, against that. I'm going to say John John Ram uh, wins the Masters. Uh, among all players in Masters history that have played 20 or more rounds in the tournament, he is the only Ram is the only one with a scoring average below 71. Uh, he leads all players in strokes gained off the tee in Augusta since 2017, and averages more strokes gained putting at the Masters than he does weekly on the on the PGA Tour. In the past, I think his biggest uh, knock against him at Augusta. Uh, was his short game or his approach shots with the irons. Uh, this season, however, Rahm is averaging more than a full stroke gained per round on his approaches. So I think he's definitely cleared that up, uh, cleared that part of his game up. And that was the only knock against him uh, in, at Augusta in the last uh, four or five years that he's played. I think this is going to be his year that he finally comes away with it and uh, gets that green jacket that he's been uh, seeking after this whole time. Well, boys, uh, good show. Well, uh, we'll see you all next week. And, uh, uh, yeah, keep on uh, traveling.